Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. Good morning. I am Nick Slavic. I am the host of this show, Ask a Painter Live. It is a weekly live social media show where uh, we basically look at the life of a master craftsman and paint business owner. Um, today, we're going to be talking about goal tracking and goal planning. And I'm going to show you the evolution of how I used to track goals and plan goals. And then I'm going to show you exactly how it's evolved and then how I'm going to plan out 2024 using simple data and reasoning and first principle reasoning. So I will also at the end of this share with you my email address. I'm going to show you guys the slide now. Uh, I'm going to give you my email address. I'm going to send you my goal tracker, my uh, industry benchmarks, and then my steps to professionalization as well. Again, I'm not a coach. I don't have a thing to sell you. Um, I'm not a mentor. I'm not any of that stuff. I'm just here sharing information that has been shared with me and that's helped me in the past. Um, thank you everybody for doing this. This is uh, the Christmas weekend here. Um, like I said, I was bemoaning the fact that I have not been ice fishing yet this year and uh, it's not great. It's not great, folks. Um, our, our ice is not great in Minnesota. And in fact, I think I'm going to have to travel up to Chris Moles territory to do a little ice fishing here. So um, it'll be interesting. A um, couple things coming up here. Um, number one, folks, the expo is coming up. The expo. The PCA, the Painting Contractors Association, is a 140-year-old nonprofit. I happen to be the chairman of right now. And as one of my duties is to think about the vision and the strategy in the future of this 100, 140 year old organization. So today, like goal tracking, uh, goal planning, um, a couple months ago, we actually did this and I led this exercise as the board of directors, as the chairperson to figure out what the next bunch of years are gonna be like for the Painting Contractors Association. And what we uh, kind of circled our wagons around are these beautiful events, folks. And I will tell you this, we are swinging. We're going to have the biggest, best expo exposition you guys have ever seen. So late February down in Orlando, there's a link in the show notes, uh, in the actual show post here. I would urge you guys, yes, you're going to have to take some time off work. Yes, you're going to have to get some hotel rooms, maybe even a flight and register for this thing. I can personally guarantee you that if you show up with me in Orlando, go through the education, Go to the charity event, do the amazing parties at night. I mean, Sherwin-Williams, Benjamin Moore, PPG, they pull out the stops. Hundreds of thousands of dollars they spend on these parties every night. We've had them in pirate ships. They've uh, blocked out uh, entire restaurants and compounds. They've uh, sectioned off parts of Disneyland uh, for our expo, for all this. I will tell you guys this. The education is world-class. The humans are the greatest humans you'll ever know. But I'm telling you what, folks, each night after all the education is done, our biggest benefactors, our champion sponsors put on the greatest parties you will ever go to. I dare you to show up there and not have a good time and not walk away changed. You can contact me personally. If you go to the expo and you walk away saying, eh, me, you come find me personally and we'll talk together and we'll figure out why. So, all right, folks, let's get into <clears throat> goal tracking. And goal planning, because again, this time of the year, guess what we're all doing? We're about to take probably 10, 12 days off most of our businesses. Christmas lands on a Monday, New Year's on a Monday. So we're sort of right there. And most businesses just shut down this week. And um, yes, you can goal plan this week. Um, 
<clears throat> I would argue you should have been goal planning <laughs> the entire year. But again, we don't we don't always have that foresight, things like that. And and I'm I'm not gonna begrudgingly say that you're you're not gonna do well, you're gonna be behind after this, but there's a few simple bits of data and and facts and and real life that we need to come in contact with if we want to actually hit something because the thing that this show is trying to solve is man 2024 is going to be the year that everything changes i'm going to work hard i'm going to be consistent i'm going to be a good manager we're going to do this and then you start the year off with gusto something changes you fall back into your old way and then the same thing happens every single year right so now the biggest thing that has helped me is a book called traction and then also having friends in the industry from the PCA, but it's taking that goal. What do you want to do in 2024 and breaking it down into quarterly, monthly, and weekly goals so that you can actually say what has to happen the first week of January in order for me to hit that goal the last week of December in that year. That's what we're going to do. Now, what I will also do too, everybody, if you want me to feed in your goal for 2024, I can tell you how many estimators, how many project managers, how many painters, how many leads, how many estimates, uh, and what your marketing costs could be. I actually have a template here. I'm going to show you guys this. Ba, 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 ba. Let's see. Let's get in here. Where is my benchmarks? Right here. Later on in the show, I, you can tell me what you want to take in as revenue, and I will feed this through my little template, and I will tell you what you have to do. And we can even track it back by month or week to tell you uh, what needs to get done. So this is Mastering the Basics. This is, again, we go through the entire steps to professionalization. I pick out one thing and we do an entire show on it. And then I link the show in the steps to professionalization. So then you can go back and learn deep dive into each step. Um, knowing if you're actually making money or not is a little harder than you think it is, right? Just because you have money in your checking account doesn't mean you're running a profitable business. So I just want to make sure that we go through and start talking about some goal tracking. So we have a good year this year, right? So perspective, again, what are we trying to solve? Number one, are you making money? And number two, what we're going to solve today is Again, you don't just want to show up in 2024, work real hard, roll the dice, and hope you accomplish a lot of stuff. There are seasons of your business when you're growing where you need just grit, where you need to just put your head down and do more every single day. But eventually, you're going to have to get some smart goals. You can't just work harder. Grit will take you so far, but then you're going to have to have a plan and a whole bunch of really deep core values to keep you up there and take you any farther. So the general idea is we want to start at the micro level by project, by project. You want to know if each project is making money. You can solve that. If you just wait till the end of the year till you fire your taxes, file your taxes to find out if you made money, uh, you likely have not. And it's way too late to make any changes. So uh, I see Justin Cowles just shared the show. Uh, great reminder. Great reminder. Everybody stop. Pause right now. Share this in your feed. Share this in your story, share this on your business pages, and also send it to every single painters group that you're a part of, right? All the gathering groups, painting contractors, uh, the paint ed group. Stop right now. It doesn't cost you a thing. It means the world to me. If uh, we, we have a lot of people who are going to get free templates at the end of this, and everybody says, well, Nick, you always ask for just a review at the end of that. What else can I do? What else you can do is share this thing right now. And I see Elder just shared as well, too. Uh, Get it out there, folks. That's the kindest thing you can do for me because you guys likely found this show by somebody sharing it. Uh, Araldo Damata, bonjour, my friend. 
Jason Webb, Chris Sines, I see everybody sharing now. Thank you guys. That's super kind of you. As always, if you have any questions, any comments, put them here. Redemption Contracting, thank you for that. Uh, if you want me to run your goal through this tracker at the end of it, I will uh, I will do that for you. So, all right, let's get into it, folks. Give you some meat and potatoes here. We got to start at the job costing level. Then we're going to go to per week. Now, this is where I start. I'm going to offer you my goal tracking template. This is an aggregate of all the jobs you did each week, right? And then uh, we're going to look at uh, sales, production, and marketing as well at that area. And then the next best thing is by month. And then you can start looking at your profit and loss statement. Now, I will say this. Um, I have uh, double minors in two forms of accounting from college. And I learned enough about accounting to be um, sort of effective. But I learned enough about accounting to have other people do some of this stuff for you. I have a bookkeeper, I have a payroll person, and I also have a tax accountant. And the biggest thing I want to impress upon you guys is that tax accounting is not managerial accounting. Managerial accounting is what I show you, which are internal metrics to see if you're making money, planning, holding people accountable. Tax accounting is not that, folks. If you think that you pay 82 bucks to H&R Block at the end of the year and they give you the things you need to run your business, you are absolutely wrong. Tax accounting is not managerial accounting and it's not ways you make decisions, right? So here we go. Data plus feelings. What are we trying to solve? We're trying to not have you surprised at the end of the year. Um, there are so many people who feel like they're absolutely killing it, crushing it, 10x baby, we're doing well, double my business. And then at the end of the year, you feel the stress of not having any money and uh, things don't feel right. Yeah. You know, so what we're going to do is actually put some feelings to it so that you can address it on a micro level. Um, I do have some uh, advice later on in here, which is this template is not going to solve everything in your business, right? You are going to solve everything in your business. The template is just a tool that a consistent professional manager uses to manage these things. You need to be consistent, folks. You cannot wait four weeks and then go back and try to figure this out. It's a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly rhythm that you just need to get in. And if you say, well, that's just not me. I'm not good at it. I'm going to hire it out. You are a business owner. Congratulations. You have to do some things you don't like to, right? You don't have that luxury of just hiring everything out to everybody else because even if you do, you have to replace your time with doing the task, with holding people accountable to the task. There is almost no time in life where you hand money over to somebody else and things automatically get done without your management. Not because people are bad, just because that's how the universe works. So one thing I want to give you guys is this. This is called the transition curve. I didn't create this. This is a term from psychology, right? In growing this business, especially over the last five or six years when we've gone from zero to 25 to 40 people, give or take, um, there are times where the data and the feelings don't match, right? Data is good. My feelings are bad. Data is bad. Feelings are good, right? There is in growing a business and the stresses and everything, there's actually a quantifiable graph and data for your feelings, which is I, so that I've been, I've encountered so many things in life where it's just like, I have these crazy feelings, roller coasters up, down, left, right, everywhere else. And somebody's like, Hey, actually you're not alone in that. That's not unique. And there's actually a graph. It's a psychological principle called the transition curve, which is simply, Hey, let's just take, um, we, we can encounter this when we start a business, when we grow a business over many years, we can even encounter this micro uh, in micro doses throughout the day. So think about starting a painting business. You're down here, you're uninformed. It's called uninformed optimism. You're stupid and you're happy. This is going to be great. 
this is going to be great. I've been a painter for a lot of years. I don't feel like I'm getting paid enough. I'm going to start a business. This is going to be awesome. People are cheering me on. I posted in my local happenings things. Everybody's high-fiving me. I got some jobs from friends and family. Yes, yes, yes. This is going to be awesome. So you start riding that curve up, right? You ride that curve up. And all of a, all of a sudden, you start getting some data. Sometimes you collect this data yourself in the form of job costing or goal tracking. Other times, you encounter a thing called taxes. And you find out that you have been not paying taxes in over uh, over the course of a long time, and now you owe a bunch of taxes. So now you enter the stage, the peak of the mountain, informed pessimism, which is, I'm smart, I got the data, but it makes me sad because I'm not performing as well as I thought I was. And it certainly doesn't match my feelings. So now you start getting super sad and pessimistic about this whole thing. You ride the transition curve down and you meet a trough. Now, this curve can take place over 10 years. It can take the place over three minutes. It can take the place in, in almost instantly. You can think, oh my God, did I forget to do this? Oh no, I have the data, I'm good. There is a point where you ride this transition curve down and you have an inflection point. You can either ride it back up, ride it back up because of data. Um, this is called the crisis of meaning. This is called the crisis of meaning. Nothing makes sense. I'm doing hard work. I have happy clients. They always pay me, but I'm struggling in business because you're not tracking any data and you're not making data-based decisions. Typically, if you have a low pain tolerance, you may just crash and burn. You may say, this is BS. I'm out of here. I'm going to just go get a job as another painter again. Or you can say, well, listen, I'm tracking my job costing and my materials are low, but my labor's high. I think I'm going to lean in and I'm going to coach my people. I'm going to train them. I'm going to support them. And then the data starts looking up a little bit, right? That's called informed pessimism, which is I'm smart and I'm happy because the data matches my feelings. There's money in the bank. My people are happy. My customers are good. You can ride this curve over decades. You can ride it instantly. I just want you to know that this graph is an overlay of data onto your feelings as a business owner. So congratulations. We are all in this world. When I saw this graph, it's like, oh, it's not just me. It, we People do this so often that it's a freaking graph. And it's a thing called a transition curve. So that's that's a little gift to you that somebody gave to me long ago as well, too. Now, let's talk about uh, types of accounting, the data plus feelings. I am here to tell you guys that people think accounting is accounting. There is not, right? There's a thing called bookkeeping, which tracks your expenses and revenue, uh, maybe weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly. There's tax accounting, which figures it out what you have to pay the government, which is not how your business is doing, because typically what you want to do, you want your weekly profit and loss to be as high as possible. You want your tax documents to have low as possible so you don't do that. So then you start entering all these deductions. Well, child, child uh, tax credits are not a monthly expense for your business. It's how you figure out how much uh, taxes you owe the government. Do not, don't, if you walk away with one thing, people, I will say this. Well, two things. Number one, you're not alone. You're not alone. Number two, tax accounting is not a measure of success for your business. It is not a measure of success for your business. Just because an accountant does it doesn't mean it's accounting that you can use for your business. There's bookkeeping, there's tax accounting, there's even payroll. Uh, I have a separate person do payroll. Then there's a the thing, those are all external, by the way. Internal, there's managerial job, uh, there's managerial accounting, the things you need to do in accounting or tracking to actually make informed decisions. One of them, you guys know this, we just had that rip and job costing show, right? And then what we do, the, the thing, the difference between job costing and goal tracking is that weekly, monthly, or quarterly goal tracking is actually an aggregation of job costing. 
So job costing is on this job, how do we do? It doesn't take into account overhead. It doesn't take into account any of that stuff. Um, a weekly um, goal tracker is what revenue did we produce? How many hours did we work? How much paint did we use? Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to upfront and honest, I'm going to tell you guys this right now. People always say, well, some of my jobs go more than a week. They don't start on a Monday and on a Friday. I know folks, but you should know how much of that job got done. Right. So when we do our weekly uh, goal tracking, we figure out what percentage of the job is done and then assign that much res, uh, uh, revenue to it. So I'm going to just walk you through my goal tracking template. And so here is the actual template, right? This is the thing I'm going to send you. Now, I have developed this over the last five years. It's one of the more sophisticated things that I send you, but it's still only entering numbers. Basically, you're going to enter your projects over here. You're going to enter your labor, your painters over here. You're going to put in your entire payroll here. You're going to put your leadership team if you have one, and it's going to auto-compute some things up here for you about material and labor percentages so you can compare them to the benchmark. Now, this will take some getting used to, right? It's a colorful spreadsheet. It's got lots of stuff going on. Um, this is from my mind. So I lay this out in an order in which I like, but I know you guys can get in here and figure this stuff out. I know you guys can do that. So that's basically what we're going to do. And on this weekly goal tracker, we take all the jobs we did for the week, all the hours we did for the week, and all of our uh, paint invoices down here. And it should spit out a percentage of labor and materials and uh, revenue per hour up here, which is the baseline. So for me, one of the most, um, the thing that I use to hold people accountable is the weekly production numbers, weekly revenue numbers, things like that. So this is very important. You can't just wait and do this randomly. It's uh, really um, creating systems to do this every week is good. So now, like I said, step one, you put your projects in here, you put a project name, you put a note in there, maybe about the project saying, hey, 30% done, and you assign a revenue amount to how much you got done there like that. Next step is you put in your labor. Now, if you're just doing subcontractors, you can just put in name of the subcontractor and total price you paid them. You don't have to put in their hours because hours really don't matter to you if you're subcontracting. If not, if you have W-2 painters, you put their name, how many hours each day, and then total hours there as well too. Materials. Uh, people will say, well, listen, I only pay my bill monthly. It's like, yes, but if you have a system in place from your uh, suppliers where they uh, email you invoices or you can go online and track your invoices, you can just take all the invoices that you had that week and insert them in there. I set up a, <clears throat> a system with Sherwin where every time an invoice gets sent, uh, I get an email. And then I take those emails and I throw them in the job folder so that we can job cost. It's a beautiful thing where we can just comply with taking that uh, job costing. Uh, you're putting those invoices into job costing. So we're tracking materials. And again, here's the thing, folks, I should probably tell you as well. If you're not a spreadsheet person, if you don't like this stuff, too bad. This has to be done. If you want to just run a feelings-based roller coaster of a business, that's fine. You can say, well, I'm no good at tax accounting. I'm no good at admin. I'm no good at job costing. Too bad. Too bad. You're a big boy. You're a big girl. You own a business. This has to get done right? If you want to have predictable profit, if you want to sleep at night, if you want to have surety for your family as we get as we head into the deepness, uh, the deepest part of winter, you need to do this, right? Um, I suffer from the fact that I love doing this, okay? So this is not me saying, uh, if you don't like this or this doesn't give you energy, you're not a good person because I know that uh, it is a uh, hack for me that I love making spreadsheets. I love collecting this data. Um, but at a certain level, then I give up and start having other people do it for me and then hold them accountable. But you got to do it, folks. 
You can't live in a world where you complain about problem clients, scheduling, what do you charge for X, ups and downs. Uh, my painters are crazy. Nobody does what I want them to. I'm not making any money, but then, well, I'm sure as heck not going to do any job costing or accounting. I'm just not good at that. I, as a business owner, I should just delegate that or not do that. Too bad. It's just too bad. You have to. You just have to do it. You can find systems to make this work, right? As a master craftsperson, I did not know that all this stuff had to get done. Um, pretty soon, if you actually want to solve some problems in your business, you realize you have to do it. Um, I can't tell you 10 years ago if I like this or not. I've been doing this for so long. I can't actually tell you if I used to hate this stuff. I love it now because of the because of what it produces, right? We probably don't like, I hear tell that some people exercise, right? Exercise in the moment isn't always great, isn't always fun. You aren't always enthusiastic about getting up and doing it, but guess what? When you're done, have you ever felt more satisfied? Yeah, so that's job costing for us business owners. So sorry for the aside, but suck it up. You know how to win. It's just diet and exercise. Eat more. Excuse me. No, no, no. <laughs> Eat less, move more. We all know how to do it. But yet rarely can people be consistent. Success in business, job costing, accountability, managing. We all know how to do it. Just do you have enough grit to actually do it? That's a big, that's a big task here. So, all right. Payroll. We enter in payroll down here. So I enter in my total payroll. And you can enter in all these uh FUTA, SUDA, FIT, SIT, all that other stuff. I tracked that for a lot of years. Now I stop tracking that just because it's usually consistent. And then you enter in your leadership team. So I have these spreadsheets where they're going to automatically calculate labor. What you do is you enter in you enter in your total payroll. You enter in any leadership team and your labor percentage up here is actually total payroll minus your leadership team. Because again, on job costing, you take into account your labor to produce it, not the overhead labor. So we want to separate that. That's why I have those two columns down there. So, all right, people are asking for the spreadsheets in the post of this show. Uh, my email address is there. You have to email me and request the resources from show number 395, Goal Tracking Show, and I will send them to you. I will send them to you. And then it'll spit out this. It'll be a conditionally formatted um, thing where green says you hit the mark, red says you did not hit the mark. So let me show you. Do, 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 do. I actually have an example for you on the template I'm going to send you. This is all filled out right here. So on this particular one, uh, we're running about a $2.5 million company. So the revenue goal for that week is 50K. Uh, in this, uh, this is actually a snippet of, um, um, yeah, of, of job costing from my company uh, and a weekly goal tracker. We hit 51883 uh, for the week. We have all our materials down here. We had about $9,200 in materials and that computed to be about 18% materials, which is a little high that week. So this could have been a exterior. There could have also been a couple paint orders that we put in this week that were actually for next week. Not the end of the world, folks. Remember, don't let perfection stand in the way of really good, right? It's more important that you just do this and then look for patterns, things like that. All the painter uh, labor is here. All my employee uh, here, uh, it was a 25, eight, uh, payroll, uh, for that particular week. And then we have leadership team down here. We have some wages. We have some bonuses. I pay out quarterly bonuses. So what I do is I actually go back and over the 13 weeks of a corner, a quarter, I, I, I take the bonus that they received divided by 13 and allocate it evenly. Cause otherwise on one week, when the bonuses drop, you're going to get this massive spike in uh, payroll <clears throat> and more accurately, I, I take it back and put it all in there. So yeah, we have our leadership team. And so for this particular week, we actually had 
34.4% labor, which is good. The benchmark is 40. We were high on materials, but overall we beat our gross profit goal by 2.7%. We hit 47.7 instead of 45. We did $65 of revenue an hour. I'm going to, I'm going to put you, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go deep into, um, revenue per hour later. It's, it's, it's an interesting stat. Uh, it can sometimes be deceiving though. So, uh, fresh coat painters. Are you recreating the workbook for every job? No, I'm creating this for every week, for every week, my job costing template, which I sent you guys in a previous show. If you want my job costing template, you go back to a previous show here. Oh, let's see here. Where's my job costing? Here's my actual, here's my actual job costing from quarter four here. You can see all this from my company. So every one of these lines, I keep adding lines will is, is, is one particular job like this. We take all this here and then what you do, uh, you can either use your job costing or something else. And then you input it back into this thing by week. I usually have my project managers do that sort of thing here. Um, yeah. All right. So here we go. Let's go on to the next day. I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, take too long there. I do want to get into revenue per hour. I also want to show you guys, if you guys have any goals of revenue, I can actually feed it in and then tell you how many painters, how many project managers, things like that. So I'll show you some examples, but if you have any specific goals for 2024, I can feed your revenue goal in there and I can actually give you some data back. Uh, so <coughs> revenue per hour, tell you what, let me, let me just take a, two. oh man. Ronnie, good night, Jay, watching from Brazil. Oh, excuse me, he's watching from uh, the Middle East, but but he's from Brazil. Thank you, everybody. I absolutely love that. Looking for, oh man, thanks for everybody for watching. Highly attended shows this morning. So, okay, this is an actual snippet of my revenue per hour by week uh, from a previous year. There is revenue, which is the blue, blue gray line. And then there's revenue per hour, which is the gray line. They do not match all the time, right? What you find is they generally go up and down together, but there can be big gaps in here like this. <clears throat> Does anybody know why there could be a gap in revenue produced and revenue per hour? I'm going to pause and have a sip of coffee and I'll wait for some comments here. All right. Yes, it is. Uh, here's the example why there could be a gap between revenue per hour and revenue. Revenue per hour is a okay, but deceiving measure of how your business is doing. The biggest flaw with that is it doesn't take into account the wages that you pay your people, only the amount of revenue produced. Now, you can take a master craftsperson and they can produce a lot of revenue, but it costs a lot more because you're paying them master craftsperson wages. You can produce the same amount of revenue with maybe two apprentices that maybe cost less than a master craftsperson. There's a lot of intricacy in there, but it doesn't tell you the cost of producing that revenue. So uh, I would just be careful of revenue per hour. It's one good sniff test here. Ooh, Mark Galensky. If you want to take a 100K a year, can you reverse engineer that to see where I need to be goal-wise? 100%. 100%. I'm going to use that. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to use that example first for you guys, once we get through this stuff here. So, okay. Another example here, 2022 revenue per hour. Remember the time of COVID everybody? Yeah. So here's what happened. Um, a lot of my master crafts people still worked during that time. A lot of my newer people did not, they took unemployment and they left. So the revenue per hour went up 
but the actual revenue generated went down because the cost of revenue went up. My sole seven or eight painters that had been with me the longest kept rocking and rolling. It cost me a lot more to produce the revenue. It doesn't mean it's unprofitable. It just means the cost of that revenue went up, right? And you can see a big spike when we had to actually shut down the business for COVID, which is not great. <clears throat> Another goal tracking thing, when we actually lay out, I remember I promised you guys colorful line graphs. Uh, 2019 was an interesting year. I've done the most human experiments ever in 2019 when I was really trying to get my feet under me as a business owner. And you can see my revenue per hour was just kind of like all over the place here. I didn't tr quite uh, have a good system in place, uh, reliable job costing and um, and gross profit tracking at that point. So I really relied on revenue per hour uh, to get me through this year, which is actually a, a useful tool. It's a very quick tool to calculate. But you can see each one of these lines, project plans, incentive plan, reformation, fired six painters, hired two, hired one. You can see the result of all those things. And um, the data point is, some of the interesting data points that come out of this is every time that I dismiss a painter from my company that doesn't share our core values, we make more revenue, more profitably the next week. That is a data point that I has about nine consistent data points. I've never had a week where we fire or dismiss somebody who doesn't share our core values and revenue goes down. We actually produce more revenue with less people when a non-core value match is not with the company. That's why we keep all this data because you would always think, oh my God, if I fire six painters, what the heck? We're gonna, we're gonna drown. We're not gonna get anything done. In that experiment where we were less six painters, the next week we produced more revenue. We produced more revenue. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So then we start looking back over, okay, um, the, the, the opposite data point is you can see when I hired two people, our revenue per hour went down. You would think, well, we have more people. We'll make more revenue. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because you're training people. It doesn't mean they're good or bad when you hire people. But it's very interesting to see that nine data points over the last five years, when we remove the worst core value matches in this company, we make more revenue and more profit the next week, not eventually later on. So what that tells me as a leader is those core value uh, match people, you think, well, listen, they're kind of causing some problems right now, but we need that revenue generation. I would argue based on this data, if you want revenue generation and profit, you should get rid of your core value. Uh, the people who don't match your core values, you actually make more revenue and more profit the next week. That's what, that's the data for my company. Now it could be, could be unique to me. I have a feeling it's not, I have a feeling it's not. So here's how the evolution of the goal tracking here. Um, evolution of goal tracking is hyper micro at first, right? And then aggregate as I trusted the data. So you can see this line graph here that looks like a heart monitor of somebody actively having cardio arrest, right? It's all over the place. It's up, it's down, it's left, it's right. It's all over the place. And I was just like, I would go to my coach and I would just be like, come on, like I am, we have this rhythm of like, we go up, we go down every week. It's this, it's this, it's this, it's this. And they said, that's not good or bad. The problem is you're looking at it too closely. You're looking at it too closely. You need to back up a little bit. So what that person said then, well, you need to take it by the month or even by the quarter to see. And then when I did, you see that lower graph down here. That's when you take it by the month or the quarter. It's actually a much smoother graph. You can see the progression from winter to spring to arcing in the summer and then back down and fall like that. This sometimes we can overlay problems and data where there aren't not, excuse me, problems. So I was looking at this saying, why aren't we producing um, data or why are we producing revenue more consistently, right? 
why, why, uh, let's see, Jay Painting, still not seeing job costing screen. Not, no, it's hold tight, everybody. Hold tight, everybody. Uh, yeah, so the, the main idea is sometimes we can overlay problems into data that aren't there. When we just take a step back, we can actually say, oh, actually, this, this actually follows all of our data production right there. Oh, can you guys see my, like down below on, on Facebook here? Hold on a second, folks. There should be me on top and a graph down below. Hold tight. I'm going to mute this and I'm going to make sure that my graph is going over there. There's a couple people saying. All right, hold tight. Let me make sure that you guys are tracking this. Uh, my live feed has to catch up. Uh-oh. Are you seeing? I might be back on my other <laughs> spreadsheet down below. That's what it should be. All right. All right, hold tight. My live feed, I'm watching live on Facebook and Instagram here, and I'm going to see if they catch up and you're actually seeing um, what I'm seeing here. So, do, 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 do. All right, come on, people. <laughs> All right, sorry. I hate to pause halfway through. I'm on a roll here, but I want to make sure you guys are seeing my spreadsheet. There should be something that says evolution of my goal tracking on the bottom here evolution of my goal tracking. It should be me on top, evolution of my goal tracking, a slide with two line graphs on the bottom. Hold tight, everybody. My live feed is catching up shortly. There's there's usually about a minute or two delay between uh, when I live broadcast and uh, when we do this. Oh, shoot. You know what? I think it is actually showing my job costing. Hmm. All right. Hold on. We need to... All right, folks, hold tight, hold tight. That's right, you're not seeing my slides here. Dang it, technology. So I'm I'm actually sharing my, I'm sharing my entire screen and it looks like it kicked off all my other tabs. I have five tabs to show you guys. So what I'm gonna do is go to this one. Sorry, folks. All right, now, evolution of goal tracking. It should be on there. All right, the feeds are catching up. The feeds are catching up. Come on now, work with me. Work with me. Uh-oh, I see a yellow square on Facebook. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, on, oh, shoot, on Instagram. Oh, no. Shoot. Dang it. All right, folks, hold tight. Technology has completely failed me. Uh, it decided to not show. Oh, man. Okay, hold tight, everybody. Hold tight, everybody. Um, gold darn it. All right. Last time I truck tech, trust technology. All right, let's see if we can get this one in there. All right, come on. Evolution of my goal tracking in one, two, three. Show up on Facebook and Instagram. Oh, I think I just did it. I think I just did it. All right, give me some mustard screen from Ronnie. But noche, my friend. Oh, I think we got it. Everybody, give me, give me a couple hands up. Give me some things. I'm seeing some thumbs up. I think we must have it here, folks. <laughs> All right.
<laughs> See, we can uh, we can persevere. We can overcome. Don't let perfection stand in the way of really good, folks. That is the slug line of Ask a Painter. This is all live. There's a reason I do this all live because I get a lot of forgiveness for live. If this was like some uh, thing that I had to be edited and choreographed and I, and I could not misspeak, this would not be great. So, all right, we are back on evolution of my goal tracking. Thank you guys very much. All right, I'm going to go back through and show you guys these line graphs because evidently all these beautiful line graphs that I prepared for you were not showing up there. So I just want to show you the flaws and the problems with revenue per hour, right? So you can see revenue per hour versus actual revenue produced, and you see gaps in between those things. You think they would be closely aligned, but they are not because the cost of your labor in this section right here, we had a lot of our master crafts people working that cost a lot more than our other painters. Again, doesn't mean doesn't mean that we were unprofitable. It just means that the cost of that revenue was higher. So you $65 of revenue produced per hour, depending on who does it, can be all over the place here. So do 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 do. Chris Kent, geez, I think it would be easier to display all this complex information in real time on multiple platforms as a painting contractor. <laughs> Dude, you get it, man. You get it. I'm just a simple barn scraper, my friend. And I'm sitting here trying to live stream on dual platforms and uh, project my screen. Uh, all the while, my kids are uh, my kids are in the back eating breakfast and uh, dog is out there and everything else. So you can see uh, different times in the time of COVID where some of my younger people took unemployment and did not uh, work with me. And some of my most senior people stayed on and worked. The cost of that revenue went up. Now, it doesn't mean doesn't mean that it wasn't profitable again. And then here is my uh, one particular year, 2019, where I did a whole bunch of human experiments in my company. And you can actually track the revenue hour projections. And this is the graph that I was telling you guys. I have about nine data points that proves if you remove a core value mismatch from your company, revenue and profit actually go up the next week. The next week. This is an absolute data point in my company. I have no data points that says our revenue goes down or our profit goes down the next week. So it's been a great lesson. And here is the evolution of my job, uh, my goal tracking, right? Hyper at first, we're going for revenue per hour by week and it's all over the place. It's all over the place, right? And now that I trust my data, we have a system for producing that data. The data matches the feelings. We have a stable workforce. Things produce, uh, people produce at a relatively uh, similar rate. Now what we have is nice, smooth line graphs like that. And what this graph is, I'm going to actually show you guys in real time, my spreadsheet that I use internally to vision cast for the future is that I, one of the coolest points of data that I have are multi-year data points of how my revenue is produced. What percentage of my revenue each year is produced each month? I'm going to show you guys that graph and I'm going to show you how I use it uh, to do some planning. So, all right, my current process, here's the data I need. Remember, we're thinking about smart goals. It's specific. It's measurable, it's attainable, it's relevant, and it's time-based, right? If, if a goal for you is, I'm gonna work really hard and do good stuff next year, that is not specific, right? It's not measurable, for sure. Is it attainable? I don't know, that's subjective a little bit. Is it relevant? That, pot that potentially would be relevant because you do wanna work harder and do more. Is it time-based? at the end of the year. It is technically time-based, but I would argue it's completely subjective and you can't quantify it. It is not specific, measurable. Uh, it may or may not be attainable. So here's the things that I need this year right now so that I can cast my vision for the future. Again, the kind of vision that I'm trying to cast is what do we want to do for the year? And then what has to happen next week in order to do that? And I'm going to show you guys how I break down a revenue goal by week each year. So data I need, a PL I can trust. I'm not going to lie to you guys. This is one of the harder things to get right. Um, accountants are sometimes difficult to work with, right? They're going to want to lay it out how they want to lay it out for tax accounting. 
Um, because I have a background in accounting and because I take a great interest in this sort of thing, because I enjoy profit, um, I have deep dived for the last 18 months into my chart of accounts to massage it, that they take my entire business checking account, all my business credit cards, and all those expenses get fed into a profit and loss by bookkeeping. How they get allocated or how they get um, charted is completely between you and the accountant. I didn't know early on, even though I, I'm a double accounting uh, minor, I didn't know that you could actually just like tell your accountant that you wanted to change your chart of accounts, right? I always thought it was like, well, they're the experts, so they'll just do it. You can massage this to the point. I'm going to actually show you an example of my P&L where you can actually get industry benchmarks out of it. Um, the biggest mistake that I see painters make is typically they'll send me their profit and loss from their accountant. We go through it together. They have labor and paint down and overhead and, and some overhead costs of them up in a variable expense. It's just all over the place. And you can't actually get your industry benchmarks or see if you're doing well because it's just a jumble. So I'm going to show you mine. We need a P&L we can trust. The cost of running my company. One of the things that I do is, well, listen, you have to have this fail safe mark, right? And there is a specific dollar amount of revenue that you can't go below. Otherwise, you actually lose money. So I know what it costs uh, to run my company. It's about $58,000 a week every year. So that tells you on average, you have to produce at least $58,000 of revenue. Otherwise, you technically have a nonprofit or a negative profit company. Uh, production capacity. Um, now that you have all this data from job costing, you can actually say, well, listen, uh, based on these types of jobs, this is how many hours it takes. This is our production capacity. This is how many hours people work a year. This is the average revenue they produce per hour. And now you can have a prediction. If you have 10 people producing this much revenue per hour, and you can assume how many hours they work, now that's potentially how much revenue you could produce. And based on your goal, you might have too many people or not enough people, and then you can add or subtract people, right? Historic revenue timing. That's the coolest graph that I made this last year that I'm super proud of. It's a very simple thing to do, but it's a very informative thing to do of saying each week, each month, what percentage of my revenue historically has been produced, right? Because if you just say, I want to make $5.2 million this year, well, that's $100,000 a month. Let's just go out there and make $100,000 a month. Well, in the winter where I'm from, you're never going to hit it. In the summer, you're going to actually go way past that, way past that. So uh, sales capacity. Uh, now that we got a lot of data from our estimators, they've been here for a few years, we can actually figure out how many leads turn into estimates, turn into jobs and what their capacity is for those estimates, right? Project management capacity. This is a question I had about two or three years ago, which is we just need a good number of how in the res repaint industry with a $4,800 average job size, how many of those projects can a person manage a year, uh, to our standard, right? Uh, and then marketing data as well too. So here is 2024, my planning process. I'm going to show you guys the sheet I actually use. This is my sheet where I took snippets from to help me understand like, okay, if we want to do 3.3 million next year, right? If we just divide that by 12 months and say, that's our goal each month, six months of the year, we're not going to hit it at all. Six months of the year, we're going to completely overshoot it. That's not a good goal for your people, right? Then you're going to be all over the place. So what I did was I actually laid out the purple is 2022, excuse me, the blue is 2021, the purple is 2022, 2023 is the yellow, and then I have a, a green and an orange for projected, projected 2024. The coolest thing about this graph is that you can see that almost to the month, we are super consistent, 2021, 2022, 
we produce the same percentages of revenue almost exactly to the month. We are very consistent in that. So you can see coming out of spring, we have a momentarily uh, momentary uh, spike here. Then we settle in for usually a rainy May. And then boom, June, we get a bunch of stuff done. And then we kind of peter off towards summer like that. The coolest thing about last year is that this is the thing I don't like that revenue should not be declining in July, August, and September. So what we did last year, new project management system, two new project managers, and we freaking knocked it out of the park, right? Knocked it completely out of the park. The biggest spike in revenue and profit that the company's ever had in 16 years right there. So now what we want to do is uh, we, we set one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five. We sent about six revenue, monthly revenue records for the company this last year, which is pretty cool to see. And so now what we can say is, well, listen, I don't like this either where we have a big spike here. And so my two projections now are, well, okay, the green one is what if we just produce the same percentage of revenue, just more every month. But here's what, here's what my goal is for 2024, which is instead of one big spike where we go like crazy, I like consistency and stability. So what I did is I projected a little bit of this out of a more stable summer where we take a higher plateau versus a peak and run it through there. So I think this is going to be a more stable way to run the year, spread out the profit a little more evenly over summer, uh, and then see what we can do. But this is how I, I put in some simple numbers from my revenue projection from years past. I overlay it onto a graph, and then I put in some projected for this next year. I also know that here is the bottom line of my company. Here's what my variable cost is. Uh, it costs me about 1.4 million in uh, labor and paint every year. It costs me about a uh, million dollars worth of overhead. That's leadership team and all the other stuff that goes into it. Uh, in total, it costs me about $2.4 million uh, to run my company. That's 235K a month. It's about $58,000, dollars uh, a week that it's gonna cost. Now. Obviously, in summer, it costs a lot more to run this company. In the winter, it costs a lot less just because of the flux of people. But now here's the cool part. Now you can say, well, great. We need to hit, we need to hit 408. Uh, let's go for this goal here. We need to $425,000. Oh, go back to that. $425,000 of revenue in June of this next year. Well, great. Let's just work really hard and see if we can do it. We're not going to take that chance. In all right, let's say in January, we're going to break it down to a month I actually broke out here. We break it down to a weekly goal. So here's January right here. And I broke it down by week. What do we need to hit? So now what I do is I don't even take into account if we want to hit $195,000 this next January. What I do is not say 195 divided by, well, there's technically like four and a half or five weeks. I just broke it out into five weeks. But the first year is a holiday week. So we have to have that number down and the rest of these absorb the difference in that. So now you have this smart goal where over like this next week, my company's not working. So I didn't assign a revenue goal to that. My revenue goal is zero, but we have some crews working and some subcontractors working that will bring in money. That's all just a bonus at the end of the year, right? So what I do then is I say, well, okay, if we need 195 in January, let's take a look at the actual calendar weeks and figure out what, what, what amount of revenue each week. And now get this, I have two project managers. So the second week in January, I need them to produce about 20, $21,000 of work a piece there. And then when we have their weekly one-on-ones, we'll hold them accountable to that. You know, in an average job size of four to 5,000, we need about four or five jobs uh, to be produced each week for them in January. And then we can actually say, if we wanna hit our goal at the end of the year, we need project manager Kelly to produce four to five jobs and hit that $21,000 of revenue mark. And if she doesn't, then we figure out why. Was it something that she could control or could not? If it was something she could control, we figure out how to control it better the next time. So this is how you start getting into the stuff where 
you control you control your overall yearly go goal by winning each week right you don't just hope for the best and then hope your accountant will sort it out we know if we're on track or off track every single week. If we have a trend of two to three weeks where we're off track, we may try something different to get us back on track. What we're not going to do is wait nine months and say, boy, we're really off track now. Holy cow, we need to do something. This allows you to do it uh, instantly, right? Let me go back to this. Uh, let me make sure I'll show you a couple more things on here. So this is sort of my uh, vision and planning sheet right here. This is what I use. This is what I do all my fun stuff on Fridays when people in my company are not working. I think about this, how to take care of my people the best here and uh, and get out there and do this stuff. Now, what I do is actually, you know what, before we go into some of that stuff, I'll show you an example of my P&L. I'll leave duh, 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 production capacity. Yeah, I'll leave this up here for now and let's go through some questions here. So Fresh Coat Painters of McAllen, are you sharing any of this information with your employees so that they know how you, how and feel how essential they are to your company? Yeah, so we have a different thing. This is for me mainly and the and uh, holding my estimators and project managers accountable. Um, the metrics that I share with my painters are different. They are attendance and job performance. So I would share with them the job costing and see if they hit the actual revenue or excuse me, the hourly budget on it. And we also need a certain amount of hours worked by them to be eligible for my raises, that sort of thing. So. Henry Cracked, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Oh, sorry, Bruce. Do you track things differently for subcontractors? No, we don't. Revenue produced is revenue produced. And let me show you. Let me show you how I start coming up with some of this stuff. So here, here is a quick sniff test graph of how I try to come up with my goals. Right. So. What we want to do is say, okay, well, how much work can Andy sell? And this is uh, this is for quarter four this last time. I broke out some specific things. How much work can our production managers produce? Here's our leadership team expenses, the cost of that. Here's our W-2 production and the expenses of that. Here's our sub-production and expenses. And then we can start overlaying some net profit to that, give or take. So um, that's kind of what, uh, what we do is you can actually say, well, how many subcontractors do we have? How many W-2 employees do we have? And what does that actually look like? You know, uh, you can say, this is our capacity. Instead of we're going to try to hit, the worst thing you can do as a leader, say we're going to try to do $87,000 worth of revenue next week, and we're just going to work really hard and do it. Well, number one, I would ask, do you even have enough capacity for it? Do you have enough painters in the field actually working enough hours to produce it? That's the biggest thing there. So no, but we don't track anything for sub, uh, subcontractor versus W-2. If they put up revenue, that revenue goes towards a goal. Uh, Tiffany Freer, how much insight are the employees given? I give my employees as much insight as they want. Um, if I'm being honest, I have the greatest people on earth. None of this stuff is going to interest them that much, right? This is the thing that you owe the company. Um, in the history of running this company, I found that people will absolutely listen to you if you start talking about this stuff. But I'm going to be honest, most paint business owners don't understand gross profit, profit and loss, variable expenses, fixed expensive, uh, gross profit, all that other stuff. Um, you're going to need to educate your painters. Um, but I would say give them the information that they need to win based on their compensation plans, right? I don't talk about sales numbers with my project managers. I don't talk about the estimating process with my project managers because that's not their world. That's not how they win. I talk deeply about the project management and relationship process with my project managers, right? I talk deeply about the craft 
uh, working 2000 hours a year and hitting those hourly budgets and making happy clients with my painters. Um, a lot of people are asking about sharing this with the painters. Um, I'm not opposed to it. The problem is what are you going to gain from it? Uh, will they gain from it? Number, number one, will they know what to do with this information? What I find is that most paint business owners don't have this information. If they do, it's usually not accurate, right? It's usually based on feelings, not actual good data. Um, so I would just say, this isn't like secret. You don't want to keep it from people, but this is your stuff. This is your job. If you're the visionary of the company, this is your thing. Just like, um, I don't share production rates, um, compensation plans and benefits of my painters with other painters. This is sort of one of those things where I've not seen a lot of benefit of sharing this with, uh, your field level employees. Not because I don't want to, I've tried it in the past, didn't do anything to change the business. And I'm not sure if they cared either. So yeah. And he can sell uh, a whole lot. <laughs> I love that. All right. On a weekly, monthly basis, how much time do you um, spend on this? So I actually have, um, in one way to make sure that I do all this stuff, I have a weekly accountability call with my coach where we work on this together. And how the accountability call works is, hey, I made a projection for quarter one of next year. Uh, this will work towards our goal. Can you give it a sniff test? And they break me down. They tear it apart. They call me stupid. Uh, they tell me I haven't done enough work. Oh, that's that's a little harsh. I love harsh criticism, but they'll basically say, Nick, that's not based in reality. You need to go back and do it again. Here's the where here's where you did it wrong. Come back with better numbers next time. Now, that's not been my um um experience in the last uh, couple quarters. I've actually gotten really good at this, and my coach has actually been like seriously nice work here. Like you're not going crazy with spreadsheets, right? You're getting simple bits of data and making fairly good uh, decisions based on them. So yeah, one of those things. All right. I'll make sure I'm not skipping over anything here. Okay. So the other thing I'll, I'll, I'll do is pass the weekly. I'm going to show you our uh, production dashboard here. So this is the dashboard that I made this summer. It's it basically is uh, turned into the single source of truth where we have our schedule, we have our setup. Remember the project management stuff right here. We have all of our jobs in the queue that are sold, give or take. We have a list of completed jobs that we've done so far. We have our schedule for 23 and for 24 there. And what I did was we actually overlaid some revenue in there. So in order to see if we're on track or off track for the week, we take all of our W-2s and subs, we overlay the projects, we assign a revenue number per those projects right here, and then that'll tell us based on our weekly goal, are we hitting or not? And our project managers in real time can say, oh my gosh, we're going to be $3,000 over this week. This is great. We're doing really well. Or we're $4,000 short. We need one more job to get in this week. And then we'll start working. They can actually see it in real time like that. So taking some of these goals and incorporating them in other things like the schedule. So we're not having spreadsheets everywhere is a, uh, is a very important thing. So let's see if there's anything else I wanted to show you guys. Oh yeah. So profit and loss. Uh, I do everything in QuickBooks and basically what I do is, um, I manipulated the uh, chart of accounts over the last year and a half with the assistant of my accountant, where I just said, hey, this thing doesn't really make a lot of sense. Can we move this here or here or here? And so basically I wanted to create this PNL so that it would exactly resemble this, which is the benchmarks. I want material, labor, and overhead simply laid out. And then within overhead, I want a simple, a couple of simple things like 
what's it cost for project management or estimating or marketing, things like that, or, or vehicles. And it took about a year and a half to work on this because there's a lot of other things going on too. Um, but I basically manipulated it to where you can actually look at here. Here's the cost of my materials. Here's the cost of labor. Here's my gross profit. Here's my advertising and marketing. Here's all that other stuff. And then my profit and loss down at the bottom. So it's actually a very simple way of like taking this very simplified benchmark thing and applying it over to there. And so now job by job, we use job costing week by week. We use that. Uh, we actually use the schedule and the goal tracker to figure out if we're hitting our weekly goals. And then by month, I actually step back to do the PL. I used to do another goal tracker for the month where I'd put it into managerial accounting, track all the jobs. But now I know that if job costing is solid, and my estimators and project managers are hitting their number. Then I take a pause for four weeks and then wait for my numbers to come in. Uh, like at the end of November, I uh, usually got about seven days where the accountant has a buffer to get it to me. And then I start looking at the aggregate numbers when you put them in there from the account like that. So let's see here. <laughs> is your coach also in the painting industry? No, my coach is not from the painting industry. I specifically sought somebody from outside uh, to get a different perspective. What is your EBITDA goal for the month and the year? So earnings before interest, taxes, and uh, I think that's... Um, Earnings, EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes. And yeah, so this is an accounting term that I learned in college. I don't deal with EBITDA. EBITDA is more of like a tax thing. So here's what I deal with. I deal with gross profit and net profit. And EBITDA is technically kind of that. Um, yeah, it's kind of that. It's just too technical. And it's an accounting and tax term way more than it's actually a managerial term. Gross profit and net profit is the thing that I would urge you guys to get on board with here. So basically what you want to do is my goal is to have 45% gross profit on every job, which then would equal 45 gross profit for the company and a 15% net profit um, uh, at the end of the year if everything goes right. Yep. Fresh coat painters. Is this primarily for res repaints and small commercial projects? Can this be applied? Yes. Um, my this The same template of job costing and then weekly goal tracking is used for industrial painting. If you're doing offshore oil rigs that are $700,000 paint jobs, same dang thing. Same dang thing. Absolutely. But this is super helpful for res repaints when your average job size is much smaller here. Oh, yes. Amortization. Yes, we do not deal with amortization in managerial accounting. Uh, depreciation, amortization, all that stuff. We do not deal with that. You guys have to be so careful that you're not taking any of this account into the managerial side. What we're interested here is the revenue, the labor and the materials, and then your overhead, the things that actually uh, uh, cost you money to run your business. Now, down at the bottom of that, your PL is going to have a bunch of amortization and you know things like that. I delete those from my PL because that's not a real thing when you're talking about managerial accounting. Now, for tax accounting, of course, of course, of course, of course. Goose Painting, are you closing out with a song today? I will. I will play you my favorite Christmas song from the last two years. Goose Painting, you remind me as we get to the end. If I forget to, I will, uh, I will play that for you. Uh, <laughs> Can we hear your favorite techno song? That's next time. You remind me next time. I'm actually getting ready to do a prediction show. I will I will play for you my favorite techno uh, song there. Here, I'll paintbrush in a dream. No, that is uh, my from my beloved Jason uh, Paris. I would not do that. Okay, let's stay on track here, folks. Um, so industry benchmarks. And then we're going to get to that thing where you want to take home 100000 a year. Uh, and uh, I'll show you exactly how to do that. So how it all works. Here's the deal, folks. 
It takes you. It takes management. It takes consistency. It takes systems and processes where you have to do this every single week, right? So weekly one-on-ones with your key drivers are essential to hitting those weekly goals. So I have a one-on-one that's usually 45 minutes with Andy, with Ian, with Kelly, with Mike, and I probably will with intern Jack come the new year. I physically sit down and we talk and I'm going to, well, I'll actually show you this. This is actually what we do. We talk about their topics for today. This is my weekly one-on-one thing. We talk about their weekly and quarterly goals. Are they on track weekly? Are they on track quarterly? Then we get into facts, feelings, drivers, and restrainers. And my people actually fill this out prior to the meeting. I want them to fill What are the facts? What are your feelings based on this? What are your drivers? And what are your restrainers? What is giving you energy? What is moving you forward? What is holding you back? And we just start listing it as a point of uh, uh, point of discussion. And then they list three things they want to work on next week. And it's basically a time where, yeah, we're going to talk about the numbers, but really it's a time where I love connecting with my people. And it's and sometimes they turn into more of therapy sessions for me and for them, which I like. I, I'm not opposed to at all. So, all right. So here's the deal, folks. Uh, here's my email address. I'm going to get into a couple uh, other little things. I'm going to show you how to use the goal tracker and the goal planner that I'm going to send you. I will play you my favorite Christmas song at the end uh, because uh, I don't want to play it now because uh, I uh, technically uh, sometimes when you live stream and when you post things with music that's not licensed to you or you're not paying to have license, they will shut your feed down or at least mute all the sound and that will kind of ruin all that there. So, um, okay. I want to show you guys. Here's my email address. I will send you my goal tracker, my benchmarks, and my steps to professionalization. If you email me this, ask for the resources from the goal tracking show, number 395, and I will gladly send that to you. We've gone through the weekly goal tracker, right? And here's my sample. Here's the master, the blank. And what I would do is you can see up here, there's a blank spot for the week. You can actually type in week one of 2024, and you can actually do this. If you go on the bottom like this and you hit duplicate, boom, you just got another tab. You can call that week two right? I'm going to delete that because I want to send you guys all a fresh, fresh sheet. But I have one of these tabs and I, I, I label the tabs by the number of weeks uh, in the year. All right. <sighs> the goal planner. This is something uh, I always try to make this stuff new for you guys, right? So I, I have benchmarks and then I have goal trackers for you. Goal planners. Um, I have benchmarks for a solo paint business entrepreneur, right? Uh, I paint and I also run the company. We have a five person benchmark. We have a seven painter benchmark. We have a 16 painter benchmark. And I update these every year based on inflation, revenue per hour goals, things like that. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. Let's go back to the goal planner here. And I want to make sure IG is seeing this. Oh yeah, they're seeing it. So PM and estimator on the same day, uh, they're asking morning or afternoon, when do you do the meetings? Here's the deal. Uh, I do my two estimators Monday, my two project managers Tuesday, because uh, it's a lot to have four of those one-on-ones in a day like that. Okay. You guys are seeing that. That's good. All right. So if we want to take home $100,000 in a year, now this is after the owner gets paid, right? So here's the deal. What we're looking for in this thing, the net profit to be $100,000. So I'm going to start looking at, if we're making 195 potential profit, if everything goes right at 1.3 million, let's go 900,000, 700,000. Aha. Boom. I gotcha. I gotcha. Mr. Galensky, here you are. Let's say you run a professionalized, consistent, predictable painting business. You want to take home $100,000 of net profit. Here's $105,000. You will need to produce $700,000 of revenue in a year. You will need 5.4 painters. So 
5.4 means you need six painters, especially to make up for time, time loss, sick, vacation, all that other stuff. You'll need half of a project manager, half of an estimator. All right, here's where this thing gets fun, which is, guess what? You're probably not going to be able to afford a project manager or an estimator at this, at this level, right? So here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to do all this yourself. You're going to have to do all the estimates. You're going to have to manage all the projects. But in, in turn, you can make a lot of money at the end of the year. Theoretically, these are just sniff tests. This is not absolute. This is not written in stone. This is not the Bible, right? This is, you're going to need about 373 leads, which means you're going to need, well, okay, here. You're going to need about a lead a day, right? If there's 373 leads divided by, let's just call it 50 weeks, right? You're going to need about eight leads a week. You're going to need about one person to contact you on average every single day to ask for an estimate, something like that. You're going to need about 311 estimates. There's about a, a 20, 10 to 20% slough rate. Um, not everybody who calls you is going to actually be estimate worthy. So I assume that about 10 to 20% of the people who actually call you for an estimate don't actually need an estimate or won't actually reply and get one. So that's going to have to turn into about 311 estimates. That's six estimates a week. That's not a big deal at all, right? Your success ratio of selling is 50%. Your average job size is 4,500. That's just an average that I took. Uh, you're going to need to produce about $14,000 a week, right? So now you get into the fun stuff where you're going to have to complete 156 projects a year and your cost of marketing could be $44,800 at this, at this stage. Now your $14,000 a week, this is what, when we say, this is the thing where almost every paint business owner and almost every business owner fails, which is we need to make $700,000 this year. So let's just get out there and work really hard. And I bet you will hit it. And then you start falling behind, you get discouraged, and then you just stop doing it. You can start winning with a dumb, dumb goal which is on average, we need to make $14,000 a week, right? And now you could say, well, I want to make it a little smarter, right? So how about for the six months of winter, we aim for 10K a week. And then for the six months of summer, we aim for 18K a week, right? That would still equal about $14,000 on average, but we're obviously going to produce more in summer and less in winter. So now you can get out there and say, you lay out your 52 weeks of the year, you put in all your vacations, and then you say, okay, for the $10,000 months uh, every winter, uh, we're going to need $2,500 a week. And if it happens to be a holiday week, you put the number lower and allocate the revenue somewhere else, right? So now you can actually start getting into every week we need to make, oh, excuse me, the weekly revenue goal is 14,000, not the monthly. So the weekly revenue goal will be 10K. So that means every day of a five-day work week, you need to produce 2K a day. And now you can just track that every day. And you can immediately, if you track that at the end of every week with this goal tracker, you can see if you're on track or off track. If you're so far off track for two, three weeks in a row, I think you need to hire more painters, train your people better, sell for more money, change your goal. You can do all those different things, right? So it's a really good way. Now, the fun way of doing this too, is you can start messing around with, okay, let's see what, let's see what a $10 million business looks like, right? You're going to need about 77 painters. You're going to need about eight project managers, eight estimators. You're going to need 5,300 leads, 4,400 estimates. You have to get 89 estimates done every week. If your success ratio is this and this, you're going to have to produce $200,000 of revenue every single week on average, 2,222 completed projects, and it may cost you $640,000 in marketing. This is where you can kind of like figure this stuff out, right? And the the biggest thing that uh, I can I can help you with, now these are completely sniff tests, completely sniff test things here. Project managers, what you're gonna find is there's some troughs in this business where you're gonna get friction points. So let's say we're a 500K painting company. 
So between one painter and, and when you have one project manager and one estimator, what you're going to find is that there's a lot of friction in this business because those things need to get done and it has to be more and more and more, but you can't afford them yet. So let's find by my theory, what the stage is when you can first afford a true project manager or a true estimator. So here's the deal. Let's see at a million. Oh, we're still at 0.8 and 0.8. So what that means is you're either not going to have enough work for a project manager or an estimator, or you're going to have to underpay them in order to hit your budgets. So let's keep going up. Let's go one, two, zero, zero. Nope, not 12 million. 1.2. Oh, we're right at 0.9. So really, my theory is you got some nice round numbers here, which means the next step from going from, and, and this is how we start making goal planning decisions. One is going to be easy. You're not going to have that much work. You're going to do everything. It's going to be profitable. It's fine. The next step is probably that five to six painters, you running two to three crews. If you start running six, seven, eight, nine painters, give or take, you're going to have a lot of people, but you're not going to be able to afford um, the overhead yet. Once you hit 10 painters, they could potentially bring in 1.3 million, which would allow you to get either a project manager or an estimator uh, for a good price like that. And all of a sudden, now you're at that other stage where you can become profitable again, where your overhead isn't too expensive compared to your revenue, something like that. So this is how I start thinking about the stages, because if you add a project manager or an estimator and you only have four painters in the field, your overhead is going to be super expensive. You're going to lose money. That's just the truth of it. And, and this template will help you with that. Fresh coat. Are you considering a week as five day businesses or a full seven days? Never seven days. Um, for all of you rubes out there that work a five day week, you have to spread that revenue over five day weeks. I say that jokingly. My company works a four day week. So we spread that revenue out over four production days uh, over the course of a week. So Astrid, uh, I don't know if he has that. No, we do a four-day work week in my business. So yeah, we we basically say the revenue goals stay the same. Whether you do it over seven or four is kind of up to you. You just adjust the hours, uh, give or take. So, all right, let's go back to my thing. Okay, uh, last time we'll do, uh, let me make sure I, I didn't miss any of my, we hit the goal planner. We hit the PL. We hit my vision caster. Yep. We hit my revenue. We hit my own production dashboard. This is the thing that me and my project managers look at every day. And we hit the weekly goal tracker. I think we got it all folks. This is awesome. Uh, why did you choose a four day work week? Uh, two things. Um, first principle reasoning, which is if this painting business didn't exist and we had to build it from the ground up, what would it look like? Part of first principle reasoning or reasoning on first principles is questioning everything. And one of them is why do we have a seven day week? Why do we have a five day work week? Why are weekends always on Saturday and Sunday? And I will say, if we can, if we can, if a painter can work 40 hours in four days versus five days, is that better or worse? For me, I, I like having flexibility. I don't mind working 10 hour days like that. And most of my people don't, but they sure as hell like a three day weekend every weekend for the rest of their life. What you're doing in effect is the same paycheck with 50% more weekend every single weekend, the rest of your life. Instead of 260 working days a year, it's about 200 or 201 working days a year. There is 52 Fridays off a year. That's 52 additional divided by three. What is that? 17 extra weekends a year. So think about not only just like selfishly wanting to have a three-day weekend with business owners, we're probably not going to have that anyway, but how about a recruiting tool? When you, when you look to a young person in the day of remote work, 
and uh, flexible work schedules and things like this. How valuable is it, do you think, to go to a young person and say, I'm going to not only pay you more than everybody else, I'll give you 50% more weekend than anybody else out there. How about that? You want all Fridays off for the rest of your life? That's what I offer you for the same paycheck, not less paycheck, same paycheck. And if you want to do um, unlimited overtime in my company, which is time and a half, you can work 52 Fridays a year and you can add about 60% to your comp plan every year if you want to do that and still have a full weekend. So you want to talk about a freedom machine, both time and money. That's it's right there for you. So oh, Dustin, what are some of the tips to maximize the value of a PCA membership? Uh, number one, get to the events. Number two, make friends with the people that are there. The two biggest value propositions in the PCA, there's a whole bunch of resources. There's just millions of resources there, right? There's business training, painters training, uh, standards, uh, there's uh, overdrive, there's all that stuff. But honestly, the thing that will lead you to all that stuff is go to the events, especially expo and start making friends with the people there. Cause the people there are all like me. They're going to give you the shirt off their back. They're the most amazing humans on earth. And they came through for me in a big way this year. And if you go to the PCA expo, you will see me give the closing speech on the last day. And I'm going to tell you exactly what my year was like this year. I had the lowest of the lows. I had the highest of the highs and I only had the highest of the highs because of my friends from the PCA. And I'm going to tell you exactly what that looked like. It was awesome. Mike, friend, Mike McGrath. So the client approves the 10 hour day, uh, seven to five 30. We do seven to five. I pay for lunch and we tell the client that's our work schedule. And if they say, well, I don't like getting up early at seven. We say that's our work schedule. Um, uh, we do that. So our painters can spend more time with their families on Friday. And Mike, honestly, a lot of that's you and I talk about this often, which is head trash, head trash. We think, oh my God, there's no, nobody, uh, nobody's going to let a painter in at 7 a.m. at your house, especially in the winter when it's still dark. Guess what? Every single one of our clients does with almost no pushback, almost no pushback. It's awesome. Are your clients okay with painters being there in the house for 10 hours? Yes. No problem. This is all head trash, folks. This is all head trash. I want you to stop thinking about this. I want you to start thinking about job costing. I want you to stop thinking about paint. Stop thinking about work hours. Stop thinking about that. Whatever promise you make to the client. Uh, they will follow through on, um, our, our clients don't care about paint. They don't care about our work hours. They care that we're a happy, profitable, prosperous company with decent human beings that takes care of them and follows standards. Uh, a lot of that is based on us having enough money. So we're not angry at every human we employ and resentful. Right. And that's with goal. And that's all accomplished by goal tracking, um, job costing. And I truly believe like the kindest thing you can do for humanity is to be financially stable yourself. You know, it's like when you're flying in the plane and it says, you know, put your mask on yourself before you even put it on your own children, which initially is like, wait a second, put yourself before your children. Hell no. You can't begin to help people without taking care of yourself. Time, energy, bandwidth, mindfulness, uh, all that stuff. If you are not taken care of, you will not take care of your business. If you are not taken care of, you will not take care of your family. And this, as a Minnesotan, this is the hardest thing on earth to come to grips with because you should never, I was, I was raised, you should never put yourself before others. You should be selfless. You should martyr. The more pain and suffering you go under for the goodness of others, uh, the better you're off. Problem is, based on your personality, that doesn't always produce a good result within you. You can start being passive aggressive and resenting people. So the biggest lesson for this last year is uh, you're really doing a lot of people a disservice if you're constantly resentful and stressed out and sad. 
right? And uh, whether you can see a direct effect of it or not, there will be a direct effect by people not wanting to hang out with you, uh, either professionally or personally. So you just got to take it easy for that. You got to you got to take it easy with that. Um, the kindest thing I think you can do for all of humanity in this industry is be financially independent and taken care of. Um, you can do more good for your community through charity work by being a profitable company than by giving it all away, not losing money and then resenting everybody that you gave money to. So all right. Do, 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 do your employees get paid breaks in addition to paid launches? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. All right. Last thing we got to, I owe you guys a Christmas song, my favorite Christmas song, uh, currently. And from the last couple of years, I will play you out on it. It is, uh, an absolute banger as the kids say, and we'll see if this will come through and then we're going to sign off for the day. So I, the great Marvin Gaye, it is called purple snowflakes. Uh, it's on Spotify. I think it's like my second most listened to song of the year. So um, absolutely love this one. I get sick of a lot of other Christmas songs, but uh, this is the one that sticks with me. It's just a beautiful song. It happens to be about Christmas. So I'll play you out here with my favorite uh, Christmas song currently. Last ask, share this show. Like it. Follow Ask a Painter. Put this in the painter groups. Put this in your feed. Put this in your stories. Get this out there for everybody else. Have a Merry Christmas, everybody. Have a great holiday week. Uh, I'm actually going to be taking a real vacation for the first time in probably three, four, maybe even 15 years. Um, I really appreciate this. Uh, let's see. Actually, you know what? Let's see if I can, let's see if I can share this. Share this song here. We're hanging out with you guys. Uh, let's see if it goes up there. I should have put a link to Purple Snowflakes. So uh, you guys let me know if it comes through in the feed. Otherwise, I appreciate the living heck out of all you guys. This is absolutely awesome. You email me, and I will send you all those things. Um, can't wait for a great year, folks. That's a good song, folks. I like that one. All right. Merry Christmas, everybody. Appreciate the heck out of you. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.